Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, we're talking Gran Turismo, not the racing simulator video game on Sony PlayStation. No, we are talking with director Neil Blomkamp about his thrilling new racing film about GT Academy winner Jan Mardenborough. I had spoken to him actually a lot in prep. So during the whole process of prep, I, I got to know him quite well. And just I would just bounce questions off him. And that was more like, we did a lot of script work. So it was kind of almost like a script writing phase where it was like, how did this happen? How did you feel when this happened? Is this accurate? And so from, from, a, from the correct level, which is the fabric of the movie level on, on a script, script writing level, he was, he was adjusting and modifying things so that you know, he felt like this was an accurate representation. Joining the discussion are supervising sound editors Kami Asgar and Aaron Oakley, as well as re-recording mixer and real-life race car driver Bo Borders, who brought his personal experience from behind the wheel onto the mixing stage to give audiences the most authentic experience possible with this movie. But before we get absolutely nerdy about cars and all the myriad of sounds they make, I wanted to ask Neil how this film, which is much more of a character study than a traditional video game movie, came together. When Sony offered me the film, my first reaction was, how would you make a movie about Gran Turismo? Like, it's a racing simulator. It makes no sense. And, uh, you know, PlayStation Productions and Sony both did a, they did a, a few really smart things. And I, I mean, the smartest thing was making it a biography about Jan Mardenborough. And be, I know a fair amount about video games and I know Gran Turismo and I did not know about GT Academy and I didn't know about any of the kids that came from GT Academy and I certainly didn't know about Jan. So as soon as I read the screenplay, it, it was a case of like researching GT Academy. And then basically the, 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 the way into it for me was I've always wanted to make a video game film and this was the most interesting way to do it where the, the, the video game is inside the world of the movie, the way that like Facebook is inside the world of the social network. It's, it can be viewed in its place in society like a video game and you're not in the narrative of the game. So there was that. And then there was the sort of emotional side of Jan's story that, you know, I've never made a biography either. And so it just, it just felt um, very, very interesting to me. So then, yeah, I signed on. You mentioned sort of, you know, bringing the world of the video game into the real world, uh, you know, as you tell Jan's story. And something that we talk a lot about on this podcast is the first 10 minutes of the film and the responsibility that the, you know, that the, that the filmmaker has to kind of establish the rules of the world. And, and also very importantly to let the audience know, like, what's the cinematic language that you're going to be using to tell this particular story. So I, I'd love for all of you to just kind of touch on like what, what was happening in that first 10 minutes? How did you feel like you needed to put the audience in that world and, and what you needed to accomplish? And also how you, you, you introduce this idea of the, of the simulator becoming real in the real world. Well, I mean, the sound designers did an amazing job with, with, with the intro, with the car sequence that we have there. Like I was super, super happy with, with the way that that ended up. But I think the first 10 minutes of this particular film is, is kind of the first 10 minutes that I think critics jump onto and like view negatively. Um, meaning a lot of people take it like it's a commercial for PlayStation or it's a commercial for, for Nissan, which I find super irritating because there's no other way to tell the story. You know, it's it's not we didn't like make up a story about Nissan and PlayStation and then go to them and be like, please be in the movie so we can like, you know, advertise for you or something. This is what happened in the story. 
Um, so there's, there's, I think once people watch it and they settle into the movie, it starts becoming more captivate, captivating for them beyond the 10 minute mark. Um, but we put cars up front that, uh, you know, that everyone in, in, in sound just did such an amazing job with. And it just sounds super, super cool. Yeah. Kami and Aaron, let's bring you in to, to talk about that first 10 minutes and sort of what were the, what were the, the main puzzles for you that you had to sort out? and address with those, with those opening sequences. The biggest uh, issue um, with doing car movies is actually having the cars and, and, you know, sourcing what the actual cars are. Since uh, a lot of that was done before we were involved, um, we didn't have our hands in to go, Hey, you know, we'll come to the set and record all, all of these things. So it was this mad dash of trying to find, you know, cars, um, which are race cars and are hard to they're hard to pin down. They're active racing teams, and these are current race cars. They're not um, they're not uh, uh, classics or anything like that. That we can just make a phone call. Some somebody owns one somewhere. Uh, these are active race cars that have uh, you know crews and crew chiefs and schedules and and you know we had to put everybody together and and find places to go actually record them because you can't just record anywhere. Uh, and transport the cars there, um, bring in the crews, bring in drivers, bringing, you know, gas and tires and all that stuff. And, and they have to prep the cars and the way race cars work, uh, racing cars work is that, you know, they're always in a state of, you know, uh, being put back together. You know, they go to a race, they take them apart, get it ready for the next race or for the next test and, and put them back together and then they rip them apart again. So being able to like time that, that here's a, you know, multi-million dollar Nissan uh, LMP2 that, you know, somebody uh, was willing enough to let us borrow for a day and bring their crew and drivers and all that to an airfield. Uh, it was a challenge. It was absolutely a challenge in the middle of a racing scene, uh, a racing season too. So. Aaron, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think the other challenges also were to bring in all the PlayStation sounds in the beginning and introduce all those. And that was always a challenge because, you know, with PlayStation, which Kami will be able to help me out on more, but they, you can't just take from their game because everything's kind of intertwined with each other. So you had to really go down and figure out how to get the elements separated and get PlayStation to help us out on being able to get all those elements. And it was very important for us to introduce that and, and make sure it was all accurate and correct to the game itself. Yeah. And, and coming into it, I thought it would be really super easy. We'll just make a phone call. Hey, we're, you know, working for Sony and, you know, Sony Pictures has a red telephone to, you know, Sony PlayStation crew. And it was nothing like that. It's, you know, we have to get hold of somebody in Japan to be able to give us, um, uh, you know, these sounds. Um, and that took a bit of making people understand what it is exactly that we need because we're dealing with polyphony, which is a, the actual um, uh, producer of the game and then Sony PlayStation and, and and everybody was absolutely helpful. Once we got to the right places, we used PlayStation sounds almost as much as we use Gran Turismo sounds as well. Like there's a lot of just place PlayStation selection sounds and, a lot of stuff that audiences will find familiar with PlayStation as a console, not just Gran Turismo. I, I was curious about that because one of the things that, uh, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, early on in the film is, is how revolutionary the original 
sound design for the for the GT game was in terms of its accuracy and they've given you the beautiful shot. You've had the beautiful shots of the, like bringing the big boom mics in to record the car and all that stuff. And I, I was wondering, is, I mean, is that actually true? Is, 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 you know, how accurate was the original sound design of the game? We just made that. Well, like in terms of the visuals, we just made that up. Like for me, it was a, basically that was an excuse for me to put a bunch of cars that I wanted in a room and then pretend to record them. And, uh, you know, like Kami, Bo and Aaron weren't on at that time because we were shooting in Hungary, right? Like we were still in production and there was no one I could really ask, like, is this authentically how you would do this? Like, I t I'll tell you where it came from. The, there was a photo that I found online of Alexis LFA being recorded for Polyphony. And it looked incredibly sort of disheveled and, and like a horrific recording environment. <laughs> it was like, it was like almost like a, like the worst little C stand you've ever seen in your life with a tiny microphone by its exhaust. And it looked like it was in like a cardboard cupboard that they parked the car in. And, and then I was like, our recording studio is going to be amazing in this film. <laughs> and it was massive. Like we, you know, we totally went overboard, but I think all of the way that we photographed the cars being recorded for sound is probably highly inaccurate. Polyphony is like all the guys there are like, wait, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happened too. They, 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 they were like, you made our offices look way cooler. And I was like, mm. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's the movies. All right. All right. Before we go, yeah. before we go any farther, if you're watching this video on YouTube, I just, we have to stop and talk with Bo Borders who is, is not just doing race car cosplay in front of a virtual background. Bo, Bo we happen to have caught you on race day. What, where are you? What's going on? Tell us, about, tell us about this. I'm not sure what indication you got that I have any affiliation with racing at all. I'm actually in my living room. This is all faked. The background noises that you're hearing, that's just playing out of my stereo. It's all BS. Uh, no, I'm at Sonoma Raceway. I'm competing in a touring car race. And uh, uh, just about an hour ago, I actually found out that my crew chief uh, for this car right behind me was also in GT Academy. So now that's two people that I raced with for GT Academy. So it's like this story is definitely very, very close to home for me. So, um, uh, you know, I mean, for me, when John Navarro called quite a long time ago from Sony, and it was the shortest pitch I've ever been given, he just said, Sony's doing a race car movie and you're doing the sound. And he goes, I go, great. And then I think he hung up on me. And that was all I needed, <laughs> clearly. Um, so, yeah, you know, this has actually been an absolute labor of love. It's been really fun working with my friends, Tommy, Aaron, and, you know, Kevin O'Connell. It's been such, like, a really fun team. Um, but, you know, what's, what struck me about the story is I've, I've been super familiar with this story um, all through the several seasons of GT Academy that have happened in real life. I know Jan's story. I know the highs and the lows. But the thing that really, really struck me about the way the script was written and then the way Neil photographed it and Colby Parker edited it and everything, they really, they really get in this inside your head as a driver. Uh, they really amp up how anxious it is and how hard it is and how things kind of don't always go well and how all the sights and the vibrations and the sounds and everything can be very overwhelming and misleading and kind of add to a lot of anxiety. Um, I mean, case in point, uh, in the race that I just did, I accidentally left my watch on and I could feel it vibrating the whole time. And I looked at it afterwards and it was giving me loudness warnings for the dangerously loud environment that I was in. And also it thought I was constantly getting into a car crash. So it was offering to call 911 for me. <laughs> so that like 
So how do you capture that in a movie? You know, we can't shake the audience. We can't blast them with 150 degrees of heat. We can't propel them 180 miles an hour. So we've got sight and we've got sound. And uh, Neil was just 100% on board all the way around to let us as a team uh, put together something that just feels a lot more visceral than a normal film would. So Neil, did you did you know about Bo's background as a as a as a race car driver when you hired him? Was that part of why you wanted to have him on board the film? I didn't. I mean, it's like it's like Bo was saying. John Navira um, put him on, and then when I got into post production, is basically when I met everyone. And uh, I, I came from we filmed mostly in Hungary, so I came from Hungary to LA. And then when I was starting post, I I met Aaron and Kami and Bo, and then I found out. Bo was a freaking race car driver, and Kami used to manage a race team, and and Kevin, uh, Kevin, the other mixer, he he has a Porsche GT3. You know, it's like everyone was obsessed with cars. I think Aaron's really into cars as well. Are you into cars, Aaron? Okay. So if she, so if she was like, before, she is now. <laughs> you know, now she is. Yeah. So the the film the film kind of naturally selected people that just you know were really really into cars, which was awesome. So, Bo, did you feel like you had a special obligation as the as the sound effects mixer on this film to like make it as accurate as possible? And sort of now that because you do know what that environment actually sounds like, how did you how did you go about fashioning you know the audio track to make it as realistic as possible? That actually a lot of that came with obviously collaboration with Tommy and Aaron and you know our sound editors and Charles Deenan who actually recorded these cars. And we were able to have long talks with everybody um, and Neil. And I, I, I don't, Neil, I don't know if you remember, but um, when I went in to meet him, I, I just watched the movie. And then I went to go meet him, say hi and talk a little bit. And I, it, it's just a thing that occurred to me. I said, um, you know, the, the movie, obviously, I'm going to want it to be realistic. I want to honor race car drivers. I, I want car fans to just watch the movie and, and feel like, you know, they're, they're not being pandered to. But at the same time, it can't just be totally accurate. It also has to be hyper real. And the best analogy I could come up with is, you know, when I do these car races and I'm all strapped in and the adrenaline's going, I'm convinced that the thing that I'm going through is the most exciting, amazing, wild thing that any human being other than an astronaut has ever experienced. And I'm convinced that everything I'm doing is pinpoint accuracy and Mario Andretti is waiting in the pits with adoption papers because he wants me to be my son, you know, because that's what happens in your brain. And the sights and the sounds and, the, you know, everything is just wild. And then the race is over and, you know, I have a, a little water and I calm down and I watch my footage on my computer and it's, you know, you know, and it's, yeah, I'm going fast, but everybody's going fast. And it's, it's not as crazy as I remember it. So my pitch was... I'd like to work with the team to try to figure out how to get the movie to sound more like what goes in and on in my head in the car rather than what's on the little camera afterwards. And, um, you know, he, he was worked with us all the way to uh, help us do that. So one of the things, Neil, that I wanted to ask you about that I really love about this, uh, about the film is that, you know, you've obviously got these wall to wall, crazy action sequences. You know, you're, you're telling a lot of the story, in, in close up, obviously, when you cut into the cars and we're seeing the drivers, 
Um, but the fascinating thing for me was I was never lost. You've got lots of different races, lots of different things going on, but I knew exactly kind of the geography. And I think that part of that, part of that was the way you guys actually use the video game overlays and, and that, that was actually a really helpful orienting tool. But can you, can you tell me about the process for you of designing the action sequences to making, to make sure that the, the audience was going to be not only thrilled, but be able to track what was going on? You know, from the beginning in, in, in Hungary, um, there were sort of two, there were two main pillars of how to approach trying to, trying to, trying to shoot the race. And one of the pillars was what Bo is describing, which is just like an incredibly visceral sensation for the audience, at least as much as I could shoot. And a lot of that was to do with putting the camera placement like in places that felt as visceral as possible in, in, in the cockpit with the driver, like looking outward, simulating GT angles, and then bolting cameras to the sides of the cars in ways that hopefully was really visceral. And then using also FPV drone photography, um, because I, I love FPV drones and I tried to get that into the movie. So that was like visceral. And I knew that when we got to sound, we, we would have like imagery that would support good sound. And then the second part of it was, uh, you know, I, I'm obsessed with cars personally, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not as obsessed with racing. It's more, it's more the car itself for me. And, uh, I had to learn about how GT3 races work and I, I had to like learn a lot about racing and the making of the film. And, and one thing that I was aware of is when I was becoming disinterested with watching televised racing, it's because I didn't have an understanding of where the cars were. Like you'd have to read the leaderboard and like associate it with a number on the car. And it, it was like kind of cerebral sometimes. Obviously, if you're looking at first and second place or something, you just kind of know where it is. But I was aware of. A, the races cannot out, outstay their welcome because ultimately, you know, a film going audience really is there for like the emotional story part of it. So you can use the races to heighten that, but like they can't be too long. So it was like, A, let's make the races short and concise. And then B, how do we make sure we always know where Jan is and like what the stakes are? So part of that was the way that it was, it was the, the choreography and then the way that we filmed it. But I think really the cheat and the thing that helped us was in post-production, uh, figuring out that I could steal the, the Gran Turismo placement of numbers above the cars, like the hologram of numbers. I just stole it from the game. And that let the audience really know exactly where he is because we just put it on him. Um, so that's, that's really the, you know, the, the basis of how, how, how the race sequences were, were composed. Kami and Aaron, tell me about the production tracks that came in. Now I, I I'm presuming that, you know, Active race car driving, not a great, uh, not a great, uh, uh, you know, the best optimal conditions for production uh, track recording. I mean, did you basically have to reconstruct and rebuild all of those sequences from the ground up in, in post-production or how much of the original tracks were useful for you? Um, I want to say about 50% of the original tracks during the races were usable. Uh, we were able to clean a lot of those up, um, but inside the cars, we had to loop the lines just to help with the effects and get the sound and get the right, correct sounds in there for the car and be able to actually hear them because uh, a lot of the times the performance was so important to keep them not shouting to get over the car. So if you were able to keep at least record it clean, we had, we had level to where Kevin could push it and have control over it. And then Bo would have control to add his car and add more of what we needed in the, in the different scenes. As far as like the race cars and stuff, I mean, with Charles Dean and, you know, being just as, or maybe a lot more anal than we are as far as uh, making sure that the right cars are playing at the right places. Um, 
the only production sound that that we have, I think Bo would know this too, uh, of the cars, the actual sound of a car is when Harbor is talking to Danny and the two Lamborghinis drive by out of the pits onto the track. Um, you know, those languages just sound stupid, silly, uh, big anyway. And, and those are that, that, that's actually a production sound car going by. We've sweetened it a little bit, but, but, uh, you know, I remember just listening to it and we couldn't match what that sounded like as those cars went by, but outside of that, like that too, like yeah, when, when filming, they were, the hurricanes were the loudest, craziest sounding of the cars. And that's that, you know, we couldn't match that. And it was like, man, that sounds amazing. Why would we even try and one up it? You know, and the production manager did a great job on capturing that car and also, uh, capturing the audio. So we were able to have, um, control over both, which was nice. Yeah. And one, one giant thing that, um, Aaron was really, uh, manhandling that I thought turned out really great was all these layerings of announcers, uh, coming out of PAs, coming, uh, 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 crew people talking through radios. Sometimes the radio is in your ear. Sometimes it's on a speaker in the garage. Sometimes your point of view is more like a television. Sometimes you're, I mean, it, it was just so many layers all over the place and it, it's, it's, it's bits of critical information and then it's woven through texture just to make things feel really chaotic and frenetic. And, you know, most of that was, was raw ADR recordings that started in an ADR booth. And by the time Aaron and Kevin O'Connell were done with them, I mean, you know, they sounded, you would have thought that we were just recording at a car race, but it was all recreated by the dialogue team. I thought, I thought they did such a great job. Yeah, it's true. And also, and also authentic race announcers as well, which give it a level of authenticity. Yeah, we were able to hire like Will Buxton and Mike Chen and Beck Williams. And I mean, we've got a list of professional race announcers that we were actually able to find. And they all flew into London. And I think uh, Beck Williams had to go to Canada that same night. And she came in, flew in from a race, did her announcing with us, and then flew out two hours after she recorded us to go to Canada. So, I mean, these guys were amazing, very professional. Um, and they had no scripts to go off of, which, I mean, they don't usually have scripts on any, any race anyhow, but with this one, they needed to really watch the race and understand the story. And they did a great job on, on delivering exactly what we needed. So we could get the pieces, like Bo said, to tell a story for little bits and pieces of, of from the announcers. And we had the French guy and the German guy, like that actually did the German races and the French races. And, and those guys were amazing. He like, it, they put so much uh energy and and we you know you're like oh my god i'm watching a race and these and they can talk over it constantly you know yeah because they're all professional they actually all do real races all the time it's, it's amazing well i definitely i definitely had a question for you about uh aaron you brought up the um uh sort of the the vocal recordings in the cars and 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 bo i'm, I'm curious like you know i i, I mean you know, Jan is getting a lot of emotional encouragement. He's having these conversations, you know, he's having these conversations with, uh, with his coaches, with the pit crew. I mean, at one point he's losing his mojo. So, you know, his coach plays his, you know, favorite Anya track for him through his, I mean, can, Bo, can you actually hear any of that when you're actually racing? Like how, how realistic is this situation? I have to hand it to Neil and Colby, uh, our picture editor. Um, there were a lot of questions asked about, what is a driver here? Who does a driver here? Because, you know, if you don't know racing, I mean, hey, the driver might hear other drivers. You don't know. They might hear the TV broadcast, but that's not that's not how real racing works. So story-wise, we were able to kind of stick to authenticity. 
which is the driver here is their crew chief. And then they also hear little spotters saying left side, right side, he's coming around two cars back, you know, little things like that. So that was like our level of our, our layer of like texture. But the words of encouragement from the crew chief is, is a totally true to life thing. Um, and every driver has their own uh, uh, level of communication that they either want to receive or that they will talk. I've had drivers say, gee, I wish the button was just always on so you could just hear everything I have to say constantly. I'm not, I'm the opposite. I sit everybody down and I say, don't talk to me, please. Just tell me when you think I'm going to run out of gas. And other than that, I just don't want to talk. Uh, but everybody's different. So, um, on, on, and, and the, 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 the coaching that he receives from, from, uh, Jack in the movie is I, I, honestly, it is really authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. Being authentic like that was, was, was important. I mean, on set as well, we had someone who was, with specifically that Enya and Kenny G section, I was like, is this, is this real? Yeah. I even asked Yun as well. Cause I mean, Yun had been through it. And by the way, I stole the idea from Yun of Kenny G. It, like I asked him what music he listens to, to before he races. And he told me songbird by Kenny G, which felt like I'd struck some sort of gold mine. Um, but yeah, apparently they were like, yeah, I guess, he, I guess he could play music through it. And like, you would hear it. And I was like, done. I have to say, uh, uh, when I was doing a Baja, I was managing a team for the Baja 1000 and our driver off the line was not keeping a pace. I think it's just early in the morning. He just wasn't really focusing. So I, I played offspring over the rate, over the radio and I just played it. And, and he's like, this is exactly what I mean. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you know, just this bombastic big song. So we actually came, came around in the next race. We actually had a MP3 player, a Sony MP3 player, and, uh, uh, and he would listen to music all the way. All right. Well, I, that answered my question, I guess. It's actually authentic and realistic that you can play music to your driver to get their, get their energy amped up through the course of the race. That's amazing. I never would have thought that's possible. So I feel like we could easily spend an hour talking about the sound design of the cars. Uh, but one of the things I noticed right, right away uh, in the, the, the racing scenes first at the academy training field and then his first, Jan's first pro race in, in Vienna is how differentiated the cars are sonically. Like I definitely knew that I, I knew that I was in Jan's car. I knew that I was in other people's cars. So can you talk about the steps that you had to take to sort of make those differenti differentiations sonically so that help that also help the viewer know where we were. A part of it comes from, you know, recording different cars. Um, uh, we did substitute um, uh, uh, Nick uh, Kappa's car in the, in the end of the, in the end of the movie. Um, it's not really clear. It's never, never really said what the car is. We know it's a Ligere, but uh, I, I wasn't sure what engine that thing had or anything like that. Um, so, you know, in us getting the Nissan race car, uh, the, the crew that had that car for us in England, they gave us a McLaren, um, uh, race car, uh, because they, that's the car that they actually run themselves and they actually gave it to us pretty much for free. Uh, and we recorded that and it had such a great sound to it and actually sort of matched, um, Kappa. Uh, and how he was and his earlier, uh, you know, Lamborghini race cars. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a lot of trial and error of picking what sounds better and what's, you know, and, and they would send me like little clips or recordings from from the race cars. Does this sound right? How about this car? You know, 
um, yeah, so it was a lot of just procuring different things and, and EQing things differently. And it all fell in Bo's lap for him to figure out. Yeah, you, had a, you gave me a couple of choices. <laughs> um, you know, and that was, that was really, really a joy to work with. And uh, Charles Deenan delivered all the, all the tracks. And we had Matt Cavanaugh and Sam Fan go through everything. I mean, I, I you know, for, for just one moment when you're on board any given car, it was 32 or 36 tracks and stuff to choose from. And so as you pick through, you know, we kind of decided GT Academy cars are, they are based on street cars. So we were using a much more hyped up version of a GTR that you could buy on the street. Um, so, you know, we lean on more guttural sounds and, you know, more, a little, a little more beef in that. When we get to, um, when, when we get to uh, uh, the GT3 racing, um, there's a certain sound that I was just really, really drawn to, and I know that we've not heard this in many movies, and this is gearbox whine when you're on the interior. And, uh, you know, a, some people might EQ it out, and they might go looking for that tailpipe sound, that classic, like, you know, real throaty sound. It's just kind of not what the cars sound like. And if you could, you know, fortunately, Charles, uh, Dean, and his crew, they, they knew exactly how to mic these cars. And uh, they had a really good driver just really hammering that car up and down through the gears. Um, and so we were able to really lean on that, you know, intense gearbox whining. It's like a mechanical whine. And, uh, and then that leads us to all these downshifts, which were, you know, it's another sound that I'm really drawn to because it's, you know, we always kind of say when we teach people how to drive a race car, uh, I don't need to teach you how to hit the gas pedal in, when you're going in a straight line and then go up through the gears. Like you, you know how to do that. Um, but what's hard to teach somebody is how to wait until the absolute last moment before you have to hit the brakes and how to you actually use your right foot to hit the brake pedal and mash the throttle on the way down. And in between gear shifts, you're revving the motor up. It's bonkers what goes on in there. And the sound of that is really aggressive. And you're not trying to just sound cool. You're trying to slow the car down with minim minimizing the amount that you're using engine braking so you don't blow the car up and then to be in the proper gear at the right RPM. So when you hit the throttle, you're back on it. And that it all sounds really intense when it's recorded correctly, edited correctly. And then uh, some idiot mixer chooses the right little sounds to put in in the right spots. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was also dictated by our, our picture crew. They work really, really closely with us just to say, you know, what do we want to see in this moment? Well, we want to see the number on the wheel go from four to three to two. You know, now we want to see a gas pedal. Now we want to see a brake pedal. And we, we tried to get it as authentic as we could for the action that's going on screen. And, and that way, you know, as an audience member, you don't have to be a car nut. You just, you, you just do want to feel like the intensity is always up. The other thing is that wine does sound like the GTR as well. Like it's actually authentic. To, I mean, it is authentic and it is unusual to hear it, but it sounds like what the car actually sounds like. And then later, the, the mo for me, the, the area that differentiates the sound the most is the beginning, the beginning of the Lamar race, where we punch in on the faces of the three main guys. So it's Yun and then the two other villains. And when I, I lifted that from Steve McQueen's Lamar, which has a push in on each of the drivers the same way, but it's much longer than in Gran Turismo. And you can hear each of the cars start up and you can hear how different sort of sonically each of those are. In, in reality, the JSPX Nissan engined Ligier, so it's a French car, but it was using a, a, a modified GTR engine, which is kind of cool because it's the same engine that he was using in his GT3 races. So it's him sort of scaling up. But then the other two, the Paradigm 
white Audi and the and the Kappa Lamborghini versions of LMP2 cars sound really different in that sequence. And then obviously for the rest of Le Mans, they sound different as well. But I just love that area because it's like these are the three. It's a big, it's it's against these three. I'm really glad you brought that you brought that sequence up, Neil, because I, I, we're skipping around and obviously the Le Mans races at the end. But since you brought it up, I want to ask you about this because I love the the work was so detailed and the track is so detailed that that specific piece that you're talking about when they when they come out of the pit and they start the race. You know, it's it's I, I love how you went into Jan's head. You know, he straps in. You know, we're, we're, we're hearing his breath. We're hearing the, the, you know, the engine start. I love the, the, Neil, you're talking about the sort of the, the, the wind up of each one of those engines. And then it's just kind of pure chaos from that point. But I think the, the detail work in that part of the sequence is just fantastic. There was a lot of this idea of sort of either POVs or just being very close and in his space. And um, that lens actually was a Petzval lens that has a lot of distortion around the edges that it gives it this kind of extremely subjective feel. And that lens was like here, you know, it was like it was millimeters from his head. And, and then also there's another one across him shooting down onto the belts when he tightens them. But I mean, I think I think all of us like on this call, we would always talk about um, m- sort of massive differentiation between things and, and giving space to stuff. So. If you if you have him strap in, it's like you want almost like silence, and then you want like full on insane racing. And we, I, 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 I mean, either I'm remembering this, or like I think we actually spoke about it. But we we would talk about like square waves, almost between cuts of things. So you'd you'd slam into something that was radically different, and then something else that fe- that has a sonic atmosphere that just feels completely different. So when you go to all of these subjective angles around the car or the stadium, you, it's changing noticeably all the time, and and that. You know, like the the thing that Bo's talking about, where you can hear the gearbox whine and the and the shifting down, which happens in Dubai really well. It's like that comes after a drone shot that is going down over the stands, and um and then also in Dubai we have just Jan breathing, and you ha- we have it in Red Bull as well in Austria, where you can just hear him breathing, and you're in basically in his helmet with him. But what we have in there, which was layered in, was the sound of vibration and metal creaking and stuff just off the car. Almost like he's hearing things in a in a two meter radius. He's not hearing the other cars, and uh, that brings this very subjective sort of internal feeling to it. That make uh, that's why I think people feel like it's putting them in the race in the in the seat of the race car. You know, it's it's like bringing the sound almost smaller in a way. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I, it, it was a, it was a, a really powerful treatment of sound to give the audience the subjective experience that I imagine Jan's having. Right. Yeah. The, the other thing that I love just in terms of like the, the sort of cacophony of different things is internal working shots of the of, of just belts and pulleys on the engines or, um, you know, like the wastegates or the turbo inlets or and then also foot, foot pedals and, and like gear gearbox elements. So you can when you're cross cutting between all of those, the sound is changing so radically. And I, I just love the effect that that gives. It gives it this real kind of staccato feel to the race to the races. One of my favorite sequences in the film from a sound perspective and how you just immerse the audience and, and what must have been a very overwhelming experience for Jan is when he's touring Tokyo after he signs his contract and he's there with his girlfriend and he's finally achieved his dream of getting, you know, his professional racing contract with with uh, Nissan, I guess I should say, for the uh, use the, the British pronunciation of it. Um, I, you know, it's almost like a cinema verite style sequence. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. 
Uh, you, you, <laughs> I, think, I think that's because we, we, we lacked permits. <laughs> 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 no, it's, it's, it's only partially true, but no, it, it should have, it should have felt very cinema verite and very, very handheld, but the sequence where we go down that very tight alley and we're filming like left and right where everyone's making Japanese robota and like, you know, it's just this feeling of barbecue basically. Um, that's, that was controlled by the Yakuza and we, we had to, we basically had to pay like a whole bunch of money right before we were meant to shoot there. And we were told a month before that we had the location. And then at the last second, it's like, you don't have it. You've got to pay extra. So it, it was very verite in the way that it was thought, but there's also a track. There's a music track playing over that whole area as well, which makes it a little bit more abstract. But I mean, in, in general for me, you know, like I was on the Sony lot, which is where most of this mixing happened in the, in the Cary Grant theater on, on the lot. And it was always just sort of eye ear candy for me where I would go in there and just hang out with all of these guys. And they were just doing this awesome work. And I would like leave edits and just go, watch cool stuff that sounded amazing. And I would occasionally drag people in there that hadn't heard any of it before and just put them in that theater and let them hear it. And they were like, dude, these cars sound insane. So, <laughs> <I'm stoked. laughs> That's great. Aaron, Aaron and Kami, tell me a little bit about how the two of you work together. Aaron, are you doing dialogue and Kami, are you focusing on effects or how do you, how do you divvy the work up? That, that's pretty much um, correct. Yeah. I, I deal with all the dialogue in the ADR group. Um, and then Kami deals with all the effects and, and um, fully. It's pretty much how it's split up. Yes. Uh, that's all I'm allowed to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So Aaron, Aaron, dealt, Aaron dealt with all the actors uh, on, on my behalf for, for ADR. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so when we first started, you know, Neil, Neil had made it very clear. He's, he just doesn't like shooting ADR, which I respect and, and also minimal ADR too, like whatever we can save from anything we can save from production, we should save. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was, it was baby steps and we would do a few lines here and there. And, and Neil, Neil wasn't, and I don't want to speak for Neil himself, but he wasn't particularly wanting to come to the ADR sessions. So it was just me and the actors and one of the editors and, uh, um, the actors were very, very respectful because I think that they were talking to Neil before the session and understood who Neil was and, had a relationship and had a lot of respect for Neil. So they gave me a lot of respect and, and keeping it like as absolutely close to what was shot as possible. Yeah. And, uh, and, and towards the end of the movie, we had to get more ADR, uh, which was fine. And it ended up working out really well. And what we did is we just made sure to go in just for the little parts and pieces that we needed to, uh, to make the scene work. So we didn't lose the performance itself from the actors and, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a great experience and it was great working with the whole crew. I just have this feeling where what you, you work hard on the day to get what you get when you're in the environment and the actor is in a certain headspace. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty common feeling. I think that directors have with actors about the moment that stuff is captured. So there has to be someone firing up like a, a like a, a leaf blower or something to just trash the, you know, it's like, this is unusable. Now we have to, we have to ADR it, you know? One of the things that that uh, Neil like right off the bat was like, "Hey, you know these performances. I really want to. I really want to be able to keep these performances." And you know, Aaron, you know, we're hearing this the studio side of this, which is we can't understand anything anybody is saying. Like literally, that every time we played it for the studio, some studio exec would go, uh, "I don't understand any of these lines because they're speaking with an English accent, speaking fast." 
Some of them might be off mic or whatever. Aaron is amazing. Aaron and Kevin, I should say. Um, they're really amazing at getting uh, uh, you to comprehend what everybody's saying. Uh, you know, I remember the, one of the first screenings, half the time I didn't even know what people were saying because it's hard to understand. But now the amount of clarity in the dialogue is crazy it, and it just slowly comes into play it just slowly but like, a, lo a lot of that was also digging it out though like a ton yes. of it was just dig digging it out and finding it yeah and and that's those are the things that kevin and aaron are amazing at you, you know um uh, it's it's wonderful to hear you know and make sense of what people are saying and actually really digest you know the dialogue um a lot of it when we first started was you know uh just uh noise and and gibberish you know but now it's like every single line of dialogue you understand and you get and, and it's really well performed it's 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 crazy what aaron does and man kevin i didn't i do nothing i just point <laughs> fingers i have to I, ha I have to ask you guys so there's a, a real emotional turning point in the film, which is the the, the Nürburgring, uh, the the race in Germany, obviously when uh, Jan's car becomes airborne and and he crashes, that sequence from a sound perspective, I, it would, I just my jaw dropped. Uh, it's it's such an amazing, such amazing storytelling and such an amazing way you use sound to tell that particular story. You know, I, I was taking notes in my little notebook in the dark and I just wrote operatic, you know, through that through that sequence. And so I would love. You know, Neil, for you first to talk about how you wanted to design that sequence, because you don't show very much, you know, I, I, I think and I'm sure that you're going to say, like, that was on purpose. Um, there's a lot that's kind of left to the imagination and the track kind of fills in and is doing a lot of work. So, well, I mean, I think I think there's sort of there's like two things at play, like the one the one thing was always this feeling of of, of never, ever creating any shots during that crash that felt synthetic or like we were manipulating the audience, right? Like there was this Hollywood slant to the way that the, the crash happened. So um, in fact, I threw out a shot. We actually had a shot in the sequence for a while that felt too much like a trailer shot or something glitzy. It just didn't sit right with me and we deleted it. And so primarily it's, it's really like, it's, it's primarily three angles. It's, it's the car coming at us when it lifts up and it's going into this vertical aerodynamic lift, which by the way is almost pixel perfect to how the real crash happened. And, um, you know, one, one person that really actually played a role in sound, but is an editor is Austin Danes, who would edit the sequence in a way that integrated temp sound that did a lot of really interesting things. And, what what happened when the car lifted up is he dropped off all of the surrounding sound and just had the car whistling through the air and then we cut to a profile shot of Jan in the car and um and so when it, at Nurburgring when 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 I was uh you know when we were shooting background plates um there's a sequence that happens once it's up on its on its on the back of the car and it's traveling forward where we really just pan with it that's all it is it's just a pan and it crashes in cartwheels and that cartwheeling pan cuts to the interior POV of Jan as he's, it's basically a subjective POV in the driver's seat of it tumbling and rolling. And the thing that's really crazy is that shot is virtually a hundred percent CG. It's basically a hundred percent digital. And these guys only got that shot 
literally within, I would say, realistically, I think it was about three or four days of finaling the movie. It was low resolution previs until borderline the time that we had to print the DCP. So a lot of, we had this like super high resolution, incredible sound from the perspective of the driver with low resolution, like, you know, 1993 video game level um, previs, like awesome previs, but not photoreal. Um, and then, and then as, as Victor and the VFX department and UPP and the Czech Republic would basically just suddenly uprise that because all of this work was happening and it's like an exponential way that all of it comes in when it's completed, then there would be additional things that they would spot that they would add more sounds for, you know, but we, we were cutting it so fine that there were, there were, there was a debate, like when Shulin's car lifts up in the, in the, the, um, Lamar crash where it was, it was literally a case of, oh, I saw some more bolts coming out of the car when it lifts up, you know? And it's like, do you want me to drop some more? Like, I remember Bo talking about this. It's like, should we put some more sounds in there for just a couple more pieces? I saw it an hour ago and I know it's going out two hours from now. And it's like, yeah, we have more resolution in there now. Let's add some sound for that stuff. So the Nürburgring crash really worked out, but it was, it was a combination of sort of forethought of how, how to just make it very simple in the way that it was shot like months and months ahead. And then weirdly like this compression of just waiting for the VFX to come in, you know, up until the last second. Bo, I got to ask you, I mean, from your perspective as a race car driver, I mean, obviously that sequence must've been like, that's your worst nightmare. this kind of thing, this kind of thing happening. And tell me, tell me about your approach to like, you know, mixing that sequence and sort of what it did to you to have to, you know, to, to, to live with that sequence and, the effect that you're trying to make it have on the audience. I, I actually think that it, the, uh, a sequence like that is more like my mom's worst nightmare. And the thing to me that actually makes that almost like really a tear jerking moment is the cut to mom freaking out and stoic dad just like can't do anything about it. They're not even there. They're watching it on television. It's like how helpless must they have felt? And so if, if that's like the emotional pinnacle of the sequence, you know, I think to how do we get there? And that race in particular, that's actually kind of the most confident that we've seen Jan uh, to, at this point. You know, he's having a great race. He's passing cars. You know, the, 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 the ticker's going up when he's, he's making up positions. So the sounds that we did, we, uh, Tommy and I fell in love with this turbo, uh, 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 turbo wine that kind of makes it sound like, like a real fun zingy sound. All the shifting and everything was kind of rhythmic and fun. The music is is very orchestral and very upbeat. And then, uh, you know, to Austin's credit, um, what a great idea to just pull the absolute rug from underneath you, remove all sounds of reality except wind. Um, I knew that that moment was coming. I remember that crash. That was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that happened. And, um, you know, one of the things that we didn't see until pretty much we were print mastering is when we saw this visual effect that came in so late, they did the visual effect of the driver going like this. And it's not a religious moment. It's literally what they teach us to do. If you're past the point of no return, don't have your hands on the steering wheel because it's going to get jerked when you hit something. You're going to break your wrist and break your thumbs. And so the safest thing to do is make yourself small and you're just a passenger at that moment. And Having that slow-mo rotating, I mean, you know, that was a really effective Dolby Atmos moment to really feel, you know, the crash and feel it, you know, all around you. You're upside down, you're sideways, you're tumbling. Um, you know, every speaker was utilized in making that happen. And then, you know, you finish off with 
just hearing these little sizzles and pops and things, which I unfortunately know firsthand when you're upside down, you're just convinced that the car is going to catch on fire any moment. You know, the wreck is not done just because you're not still moving. You're, it's not over yet. Um, it's a, it's a very, very realistic. And I know I keep saying the word visceral. I got to get a thesaurus and come up with another word, but it's a very, very visceral moment that feels very true to life. So we find out in the end credits that, uh, you had the real life Jan on set. Uh, and I, I think it, you know, he, he actually did some stunt work for you. I'm kind of curious, you know, Neil, what was it like having him there? What sort of insights did he bring to the, uh, uh, to, to the proceedings, um, uh, did he talk to you about that real crash? Like, I'm curious with sort of your relationship with Jan. He never um, spoke about the crash. He also, when I showed him the movie, he looked away in that sequence. It's it's like, it's a highly, highly personal thing to him, um, which is why I wanted to try to shoot it in a way that was just unvarnished and non-manipulative. But um, for everything else, you know, I, I had spoken to him actually a lot in prep. So during the whole process of prep, I, I got to know him quite well. And just, I would just bounce questions off him. And that was more like, we did a lot of script work. So it was kind of almost like a script writing phase where it was like, how did this happen? How did you feel when this happened? Is this accurate? And so from, from a, from the correct level, which is the fabric of the movie level on, on a script, script writing level, he was, he was adjusting and modifying things so that, you know, he felt like this was an accurate representation. And then, um, when we got on set, my goal was in the racing sequences that he would be on set and show us like, you know, this is right, this is wrong. And I also simultaneously um, was looking for someone who that would be their full-time job. So it wasn't from the perspective of Jan. Like when I was at Le Mans, I felt X personally. It's, it's a different person. It's when you're racing Le Mans, this is how this happens. When you're racing at Red Bull Ring, this is how this happens. And, um, and that, that person was David Perel, who is a, a Le Mans and GT3 race car driver who kind of was, was on set every day as well as Jan. But the thing that was crazy about Jan was at a certain point being on set, I think it was a case of, Hey, do you want to get in front of the camera and actually be one, drive with one of the stunt drivers and just drive one of the cars? That's how it started. Then the stunt drivers have to certify him and make sure that it's okay, which they did. Then they loved him. And then, and then we were looking for a stunt double for Archie Medekwe, who is playing Jan. And it was like, why don't we use Jan? Like, and then he, so then he drove his own car for the whole movie, which was a really awesome kind of meta concept. Well, you guys have been very generous. We're coming to the end of our time. Sometimes we like to end this podcast by asking everyone sort of what's your, just to pick one favorite sound moment in the film, something that when you're watching the film just kind of makes you giddy inside that you're some, some very tasty sort of moment of, of sound storytelling, uh, in, in the film. And, uh, and of course, you know, Bo, uh, graciously brought up Dolby Atmos. So if there's a, if there's a, a really great, fantastic Atmos moment that you want the audience to listen for, let us know. Aaron, do you want to, do you want to kick off? Um, I, gosh, I think the most, I think everything in this movie sounds amazing. So it's hard for me to, pinpoint exactly my favorite moment but i think a really great moment of sound effects that we were able to use in bow and kami really did a great job with was when the car disassembles and it's in the Mans. and i feel like we spent in watching them bring all those sounds together and bow really being able to pull out each element and make sure that you hear the part that you see and putting it around us and over us and it just came out super amazing in the way the two of them were able to able to, and even with Charles, all of them, I mean, everybody was able to help out Sam fan, Matt. It just, to me was one of my favorite moments of the movie of, of just watching them work and 
making it sound as cool as it sounds. Kami, how about you? Mine would have to be at Le Mans too. Uh, it's actually where um, uh, Jan is six seconds behind Kappa and Kappa goes by and it's almost silent and it's actually six seconds until he goes by. It's, you know, I love silence in movies and, and that, that moment is just, I love, I just wait for people to watch that. That's there, there is also, there, there are birds in there. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, there yeah. are some birds. Yeah. That kind of gives you the quietness. Like yeah. he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> Not hearing anything anymore, which is awesome. Yeah. Bo, how about you? Oh boy. God, I got to choose between all my babies. Um, you know, I, I, there's a really great moment. Um, that's also my most favorite, the way it's photographed is racing at night in Le Mans in the rain. Um, I love racing at night. I love racing in the wet. It's not for everybody, but I really love it. And there's this tunnel vision that you get and you're really in your own head. And, um, there's just a really nice moment that they created in picture editorial where Jan's kind of talking to himself and he's just kind of in his rhythm. He's in his own little world. He's in his own little planet. Nothing else in the universe is going on. Um, if anybody's ever into meditation, you should be a race car driver. You you meditate. That's really what you're doing. And uh, the um, um, what what we all the choices that we made, the way music interacts with sound effects. There, it's not one or the other. It's very much both. Kind of doing these little accents, and not all the sounds are rooted in reality. But um, um, I, I, that that to me is just a really fun little little piece of poetry in the movie. Yeah, it's it, it is it is. Uh, we used to speak about that as well in, the, in in editorial that it was it was the most it was the most uh, sort of abstract attempt at cinema in in Gran Turismo, where it's really just about feeling and and it's it's based on what Bo is describing, which is this feeling of flow state that drivers apparently get into, where you just sort of zero in on something and become like laser focused on it. But the, in that sequence, my favorite part is there's a camera strapped to. Uh, the side of the LMP2 car, which is going at pretty high speed, and there's water, um, there's 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 rain hitting the lens and hitting the car at you know 300 kilometers per hour. So there's a there's a ton of this thwacking sound of like rain splattering off windshields, and and uh, which is awesome. But for me personally, I think um, I'm obsessed with the the kind of the the radio chatter comms like crunchy radio static stuff that. Like, you see, Erin's smiling because she knows, like, how, like, I, I was really obsessed with the sound, and Bo said that it was fine because, it, like, it's real. We can use it in racing. You hear it a lot. We probably did it more in the movie than reality. But um, there's a moment in Le Mans where it's at the beginning of the racing sequence before Shulin crashes where, where Yun is driving pretty well. And it's, it's basically almost just after they, they get the, the flag to begin the race. And there's there's a drone shot with super high speed cars coming under the drone, and then from his perspective while he's driving, and you can just hear all this comms radio chatter. And then we go to a telephoto shot of the cars coming over this rise. And uh, I love this. I just love that it feels like authentic but heightened cinema, like heightened a heightened version of real reality. And that's that's probably my just sheer sound design favorite moment. But my favorite moment overall for audio is um, the uh, the Le Mans opening ceremony where they bring the flag in with the soldiers and give it to the flag bearer uh, because it's a combination of sound design. Like there's slow motion shots with the helicopter with the whooshing blades and then um, the crowd and the French national anthem. So there's also music. Uh, and there's, you know, there's there's this this other thing that was happening in sound design where 
we, we were putting like thuds and whooshes and stuff that are almost like trailer sounds that were just happening inside inside the movie while it was unfolding. And it gives it gives that sequence a very elevated feeling. You know, it just it just feels big. And so that that area is probably my favorite sound area of the movie overall. Well, thank you guys for coming on the Dolby podcast today to talk to us about Gran Turismo. This is a really, really fun uh, and very emotional film. And, you know, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, good luck with the release and congratulations again. It's a really fantastic achievement. Neil, Aaron, Kami, Bo, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. Thanks awesome. for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Many thanks once again to Neil, Kami, Aaron, and Bo Wheels Borders for joining us today. And a special shout out to Dialogue Re-Recording Mixer, Kevin O'Connell, who wasn't able to join us. And an extra special thanks to our friends at Sony for helping bring this conversation together. Gran Turismo is now in Dolby Cinemas in stunning Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. You can find links to tickets, as always, in our show notes. If you'd like even more conversations with inspiring artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please be sure you're subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including the video version on YouTube in our show notes, or you can simply search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. If you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you'll find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. Thanks for joining us.